Good to see you here this morning. Turn to your neighbor and uh, give them a smile, you know, like a big smile, a toothy one. Tell them you're glad they're here. And uh, we've still got folks. We've still got folks up in uh, in the uh, No 101 new members class. Excited about that. Our grow group started last week. If you're not in one, you can still come and see me. I can get you placed in. We had a great time. Uh, I think we're going to have to have an interpreter in ours. We've got uh, three nations, four nations represented, and uh, just had a good time uh, basically applying last week's lesson, greeting one another, getting to know one another, and welcoming one another into small group community. And so I hope you're excited about those things. Turn in your Bible. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 16. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, the last chapter in, uh, in the book, often this is the chapter that gets overlooked in any l- book of the Bible, especially Paul's letters. He's kind of wrapping things up. He's pulling loosely, seemingly disconnected things together. But in, ra- in reality, everything in this chapter is grouped around abounding in the work of the Lord. In fact, in your notes, right there at the top of your lesson notes, is 1 Corinthians 15... 58, which is really the theme of this whole chapter. uh, Chapter divisions are artificial. They're added by men. They're not inspired by God. Often they're not helpful. Many times they are. But in this case, 1558 is really the theme that moves into chapter 16. So with that verse at the top of your notes, in a loud voice full of gratitude to God for having His Word. Let's read that out loud together, okay? Do you see it there? It begins with therefore. Let's read it together. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that good? That is what we're talking about. Where are we in 1 Corinthians 16? Let me give you just a brief review of what we've done in this series so far. Regarding stewardship, we are to always abound in three areas, and we find those in verses 1 through 9. We're to always be abounding in giving, giving our resources to the Lord, His church, and others to fulfill the mission. We're to abound in hospitality, and, and that is sharing our resources by inviting others either into our home or into a fellowship, into a group. And then thirdly, we are to be good stewards who abound in proclaiming the gospel. The greatest resource, listen to me, the greatest resource we have bar none is the good news of the gospel. And we need to be good stewards of it. Not hoarding it, but sharing it freely with others. Then we moved into the idea of shared community, small group community. And we're to abound in two areas in there. First of all, in greeting one another. We talked about that. We talked about how to do it in a culturally relevant way, doing it in a biblically sound way, doing it in a way that transforms how our culture greets one another, and doing it in a way that, that transcends the culture. And we do it by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ with love of God the Father, and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you aren't eager to greet God's people, then you have to ask yourself, do I really love God, and do I have the love of God in me? And also in this chapter, we could talk about, 
And I chose not to because we talked about it in our groups last week. All of our groups talked about building community in small groups. Uh, meeting in homes. You see this down in verse 19 where the churches of Asia, Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca, Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Well, there's another broad category that we're to abound in, and it's the heart of this chapter, and it's this. We're to abound in serving, in serving the Lord and serving His local church. You see there in your notes where it says at the top, we are to always abound in serving the Lord until He comes to rapture us or to raise us from the dead. Now, we know that, right? We know that that's our calling. All of us, we're called to always abound in serving until we're raptured or until the Lord raise us, raises us. But I think we can all admit here, abounding in the work of the Lord is not easy over the long haul. Oh, it's great to get excited, but over the long haul, it is not easy. How can we help one another to thrive instead of just survive in serving the Lord? How can we look at one another as we work together for the Lord Jesus Christ, whether on a ministry team or at, you know, basically on a ministry team, how do we encourage one another? Well, there's several ways, and even several ways in this chapter that we could look at, but I want to focus on one. One that Paul models for the Corinthians, one that he models for us, one that, that uh, I think is one that we, that's overlooked, it's not talked about a lot, and it's this. We motivate one another to always abound in serving when we honor one another for always abounding. When we honor one another for always abounding. Look there in the box on your notes, it says this. Here's the main idea of this lesson. Honor those who are always abounding in serving the Lord in order to help them keep abounding and to help others start abounding. Here's the idea. Paul is going to take people like Timothy. He's going to take people like Apollos. He's going to take people like we see here in verse 17, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. And he's going to lift them up, and he's going to say, look, these guys are always abounding. Let's honor them. And in doing so, he's going to motivate them to keep abounding. But at the same time, he's going to take everybody's attention and say, look, that's what you're supposed to be like. That's what I'm supposed to be like. Start abounding. Start serving like these guys. And that's what honoring does. So let's read the passage. Let's look at verses 10 through 18. So we're going to look at 10 through 18. And so follow along with me in your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you're paying attention in your Bibles. Because we're here to discover what the Bible has for us. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. Let's look at verses 10 through 18. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert, 
Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. There's someone that's always abounding in the work of the Lord. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. There's those two words, working and laboring. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. And now here's the main idea. Therefore what? Acknowledge such men. Recognize such men. Honor such men. That's the idea. And what I see in these verses is five ways to honor those who are always abounding in serving the Lord. So here's what I want you to do this morning. First of all, if you're on a ministry team and every member ought to be on a ministry team, ought to be involved in ministry, I want you to think, how can I honor those I serve with? How can I take these five ways and honor those I serve with? And if you're a ministry leader, I want you to think, how can I take these five ways that we're going to look at and honor those that I lead and I serve alongside with? So let's take a look at them, and I think you're going to be motivated by them. I know they encourage me. I see where I need to grow. I see what helps motivate me. I think you'll do the same. Number one, give them the recognition they deserve. How do you honor those that are abounding in the Lord? You give them the recognition they deserve. That's verse 18. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Now, when you say honor people or recognize people, there's two dangers to avoid in serving the Lord. Here's the first one. Serving only for recognition from people. This is the first danger. So, When we're looking at this, show people the recognition they deserve. The first danger we need to avoid is serving so I can get that kind of recognition. Are you with me? Serving only, and that's the key word, only for the recognition from people. Um, Think about this. Ask yourself the question, why do you serve? I serve because people will see me. I serve because people will praise me. They'll think well of me. I serve because I need people to blank me. You fill in the blank. I serve because I need people to approve of me, love me, like me. All those kind of motivations for serving are what the Bible calls external, man-pleasing eye service. External, man-pleasing eye I service. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6 6. Let's look at some verses that talk and warn us. Don't serve only for the recognition from other people. Look at Ephesians 6 6, what it says. Ephesians 6 6. Paul's giving instructions. He's giving instructions to servants and slaves, but it applies to us because Lord Jesus is our master. We are his servants. This is how we are to serve him. Look at Ephesians 6 6. 
not by way of eye service. In other words, you only work hard when what? When others are watching, especially the boss guy, right? As men pleasers, you serve in order to please men. But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, now turn over to Colossians 3.22. Colossians 3.22. Colossians 3.22. Listen to this verse. (coughs) Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service. Just service, just going through the motions, not having your heart in it. So those, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Again, it's heart motivation, not external motivation. Now turn to Galatians 1.10. Turn your Bibles to Galatians 1.10. Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You can't just, if if your only goal is to please others, then you are not a servant of Christ. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Turn your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. This is a good one. It's amazing to me how the heart is mentioned in almost all these verses. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. It's God who has entrusted us with the ministry. It's God who has seen us, made us approved and capable of ministry. It's God's ultimately who's going to examine our hearts. Now, go to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. Here's what Paul says. Let a man regard us in this manner. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, we answer to Christ, we answer to God. In this case, moreover, it's required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Now look at verse 3. But to me, it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by human court. He says, it's a small thing if you criticize me. Most of us, it's a big thing when other people criticize us. When other people, it's a big thing what other people think of us. Paul says, look, that's a small thing. I've got bigger concerns to worry about. He says, in fact, I don't even examine myself. And then he proceeds to say, well, I have examined myself. I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. So I'm just reading these verses so that you get the awareness that the very first danger you need to avoid in, in, in serving the Lord is that you're not doing it only for the recognition of other people, that instead you have a heart motivation. But here's the second danger, and this keeps us from going to another extreme. Look at the second danger. Expecting others to serve without any recognition from people. 
Okay? So we can get so pious and so spiritual. Serve only for the Lord. Serve only for the Lord. And that's true. You're supposed to do that. But we can't expect others to serve without any recognition from people. Alright? And the reason we know that is Paul wrote all those verses we looked at, and yet here he is saying, acknowledge such men. Do you you see the idea? And so you say, well, what's the difference between those two? I think here's the difference. The first one has to do with my heart. Check, checking my heart. The second one has to do with caring for the heart of others. You see, I need to make sure I'm serving only for recognition from the Lord. But I need to look out at others that I'm serving with or that I'm leading, and I need to care for their heart and make sure they get the recognition that they deserve. This word acknowledge in verse 18 means to indicate that one values the person of another. It means to express appreciation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for serving. It means putting value on people. It means expressing how much you appreciate and recognize what they do for the Lord. And this is exactly what Paul's doing in this in this passage. In fact, he's not only doing it, but verse 18 is a command for the rest of the church to do it. It's a command in the present tense. And when that happens, he's saying not just, hey, when you get around to it, recognize people. No, he's saying, look, this is a command. Start doing it and keep on doing it. Start acknowledging people. Start recognizing people and keep on recognizing people people. And Paul didn't just do it here in 1 Corinthians 16. He did it in a whole chapter in Romans 16. Turn your Bibles to Romans 16. Turn your Bibles to Romans 16. This is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. It's a freaky passage. It's the last chapter in the book of Romans, and he lists no less than 33 names. He's basically, he's doing the greeting, greeting one another, And he's greeting, it sounds like, every single believer in the church at Rome. Over 33 names are mentioned, many of which he specifically gives them the recognition that they deserve for abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's read it together. Look at Romans 16, beginning in verse 1. He just starts right off. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. There you are. Give her the recognition she deserves. Why? She is a servant of the church, which is at Sennacheria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Wow. What greater recognition could you give? Then he goes down, verse 3, Greet Prisca and Aquila. Here's the same couple in 1 Corinthians 16. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. He literally says they stuck their neck out. Now, we use that as a figure of speech. If you were in the first century Rome and you were a Christian, that's not a figure of speech. They literally risked getting their heads cut off to further the mission of Jesus Christ. Not so metaphorical anymore in the news, is there? Young children, teenagers, 
mothers, dads, are literally risking their necks to further the cause of Christ in the face of the onslaught of ISIS. He's giving recognition. He says, also greet the church that is in their house. Wherever they go, they have a church in their house. Greet uh, Epineus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. There's that word of laboring to the point of exhaustion. He goes on, greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles. He goes on, he greets Apellus, the approved in Christ. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Down in verse 12, 12 greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, must have been twins, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. This is that same word of laboring to the point of exhaustion. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. And then he ends in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, what is Paul doing here? He is identifying people who are always abounding in serving the Lord, and he's honoring them by giving them the recognition they deserve. And in so doing, he's doing two things. He's helping them to keep abounding, and he's also motivating others in the church of Rome and in this room to start abounding as he hears, as we hear the recognition these people get. Basically, he's saying, attaboy, keep on, keeping on. And he's saying to others that may not be active in ministry or becoming stagnant, hey, look at these guys and follow their example. He's giving them the recognition they deserve in a way that emphasizes why they are abounding. Look, he makes it clear. They aren't serving so Paul would recognize them. They're serving for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he says they're workers in the Lord. They're working hard in Christ. They're elect of Christ. He's showing that their whole life is shaped and motivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they're not serving for the recognition they deserve. They're serving because they were undeserving of the redemption they had already received in Christ. That's their motivation. And because it's their motivation, it causes them to abound. And because that's their motivation and they're abounding, Paul says, they deserve recognition. And I think it's interesting. It can go from a married couple... It can go from those that are leaders, church leaders. It can go from being nearly a martyr for Christ. It can be as simple as being a mother to someone who needs a mother figure. He says, hey, greet Rufus's mother. She's her, his mother, and he's my mother. Now, was Rufus, were they brothers? No. What he's saying is, this person abounded in serving by simply being a mother figure to me. I think that's kind of encouraging that even the Apostle Paul needed relational things. We'll see that in a moment. So here's the idea. Paul gives them the recognition that they deserve but didn't necessarily want by mentioning their names publicly and briefly describing how hard they worked, why they did it, and how they did it. And folks, we can do the same thing. 
I try to do that in here. I try to mention on a regular basis what Bill and Sandra do with the coffee, what Audra does back there with that energetic smile she's got on her face there, what, uh, what different people do with the sound. The, you, we can just say, hey, they work and they work for the Lord. And they, and they meet needs. Are you thankful for that? Yeah, and it's good every once in a while. Do they come to me and say, hey, you haven't mentioned my name recently. Would you mention it? No, they don't say that. But let me tell you, if they're human, they get motivated by getting the recognition that they deserve. It encourages you. It encourages me. We can do the same thing by writing notes, sending texts, and honoring one another. And in fact, this isn't just something that leaders do to, to followers. Romans 12.10 says this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. You can encourage Audra. You can encourage Bill and Sandra. You can encourage uh, your teacher. You can encourage those who set up tables, you can encourage them and say, hey, I really recognize that you do this for the Lord, and I just want to tell you, thank you. Now, public recognition, though, is not the only way. That's the typical way, but that's not the only way. There's four more ways that we can honor those who are abounding. And let's look at number two. Give them the resources they need. When people are abounding in ministry, they have need of resources. And one of the ways you can honor people that are really working hard for the Lord is to give them the resources they need. Let's look at verses, uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 16 again and look at verses 10 and 11. Look at verses 10 and 11 again. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but here's what you're supposed to do with Timothy. Send him on his way in peace. Send him on his way. So how do we honor people that are always abounding and serving the Lord? We send them forward with the help and the resources they need to fulfill their ministry and fulfill the mission that God's given them. I like what uh, our missionary partner Richard Lewis likes to say, uh, you can't live on a God bless you. Okay, I like that. That's true. You know, we're just, hey, you know, hey, there you go. Hey, you know, boy, keep going in your ministry. But you know what? I need resources. I, I need resources to get the job done. So we honor those that are always abounding in the Lord by giving them resources they need for their ministry. Now, the phrase that Paul uses, look there in your Bibles, verse 11, the phrase he used is send them on his way. That's a, that's a verse, that's a word that we've already seen in this chapter. Look at verse 6. Paul says the same thing to the Corinthians. Perhaps I will stay with you and even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever we go. We've studied this word in this series. It's, it's about giving people the resources they need, especially for traveling. Okay, especially for traveling. It could be food. It could be lodging. It could be just cash. For traveling. And it could even be traveling companions, because back then you kind of needed a posse to go with you for protection, okay? And so it could even just be personal uh, people to comfort and encourage you. But the idea of this word is not just about resources to get from point A to point B, as much as providing those who serve the Lord 
with the resources they need to get the job done and the mission fulfilled. Turn back in your Bibles to Romans 16 again. Look again at Phoebe. Romans 16, look at verses 1 and 2 again. I love how Paul says this. In fact, what he does for Phoebe in these two verses is a great example of everything we're talking about in this lesson. Look at what he says. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. There's that recognition she deserved, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sennacherib. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need. See, there's no limitations. Get her whatever she needs to do what she's doing. Why? Because she's been a help to many, and she's a help to me. So we're not just throwing money around. Hey, here's some money. Go do something useful with it. No, you're doing something useful, and we want to get you the resources that you need to get the job done. So whether you're a greeter, whether you're an usher, whether you're working with hospitality, with coffee and donuts, whether you're running sound, whether you're making the weekly videos uh, to pray for our missionaries, whatever you're doing in our church, teaching, a helping, nursery, we want to give those who are working hard the resources they need to fulfill their ministry. And so, here's five. I, you know, I, I just thinking through, what are the resources we need? Here's five resources that honor those that always abound in serving. The first is the obvious one, financial. You can't live on a God bless you. It takes money to do ministry. It just does. Okay, it's a reality. And Bill Howell does a great job of making sure our ministry leaders have budget sheets and then we, as ministry leaders, get to figure out, okay, what do I need to fulfill my ministry? We get to ask for that. Don't always get what we ask. That's part of reality, part of life. And then we get to manage the resources that we are entrusted with to fulfill our ministry. And so just let me give a reminder here that faithful giving as those who are in ministry is a part is a part of being given money to manage for the church. In other words, occasionally, not very often, but occasionally we get someone that wants to spend the church money without giving the church the Lord's money. Okay? Now I that that is beyond me. I can't comprehend that. I know I'm selfish. I have other selfish issues in my life that are obvious probably to you, but not to me. But I just don't get, hey, I want to spend the Lord's money, but I don't want to give him the first part of my own money. And so a part of of receiving resources to use in ministry is to give the first part of your income, that first 10% at least, if not more, by grace to the Lord's church. Second, physical resources. This could be a classroom environment. As we held the training for the double-time missionaries, we had 27 missionaries down here, and part of their event, we had a whole sheet of evaluation on our job as hosting and showing them hospitality. And one of the things that repeatedly they said, what a great environment for learning. You know, maybe some of us have forgotten that in this room. You know, that being, this is a great environment right here for learning. And that is part of the physical Resources. It could be a van to pick people up in. It could be sound equipment. It could be literally Bibles. Okay? Whatever the physical resources. Thirdly, 
personnel resources. Probably as important or more important than physical or financial is personnel. One of the things that sending people forward on the mission included was traveling companions. Well, let me give you an insight. We all need traveling companions in the ministry that we're doing. Amen? We need traveling companions. And we're in this together. But, just like finances, there are always more personnel needed than are available. Amen? And let me tell you, you don't think, oh, I'm going to run to a megachurch. Well, yeah, you can hide in megachurches, but you know the sad reality is? There isn't a church out there that doesn't have need more people than are available. It's true everywhere, okay? We feel it, maybe, in a, a less large church, but the reality is there's always that need. And guess what? We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus the Lord of the harvest encountered the same need. Do you remember that passage? The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And here's his answer. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to thrust out more labors into the harvest. Number four, equipping resources. Uh, few things put a greater value on those working hard for the Lord than further training and equipping. The difficult that we have in this culture this day is people are busy, busy, busy. And technology doesn't seem to help. In fact, you can do more training by technology and online, but it eliminates one of the high values in this passage, and that is person-to-person training. Okay? So equipping resources. And then fifth, spiritual resources. Sometimes we forget about this. Prayer and better use of the Bible is some of the greatest resources we have. Uh, one of the things I like doing occasionally is, uh, whether it's Trek or Awana or in our uh, discovery hour for our kids, is to sit in and see how are we utilizing the Word of God and can we leverage the Word of God in a greater way? Can we get the Word of God in front of people? You know, I'm telling you, this guy, faith by hearing. People don't have this book and we have so much of it, what do we do with it? We take it for granted. We take it for granted. Well, I think you get the idea. Let me just end, end this point with this. I think it's amazing on this, this idea of spiritual resources that Paul begins his letters and he ends his letters with some of the greatest resources that we have. Grace, mercy, and peace. You know, I think Paul thought more important than money, more important than people, more important than, than really anything, is that we leverage the spiritual resources of grace and mercy and peace. He begins with it and he ends with it, and it's abundant for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's the third, third one. Probably one of the greatest resources we forget is relational. The resource of relationships. Give them the res- relational support they want. One of the great ways to honor people is to give them the relational support they want. Now, let me just say this. I say want for a reason. People want different levels of relational support. Right? But here's the, here's the truth. The most introverted, uh, independent person still needs relational support. Okay? And so let's take a And why is that? Life is relationships. Therefore, ministry is people. It's not just programs. It's not just processes. And what does this mean? It means that abounding in the work of the Lord means spending time with people. 
and nurturing relationships. Again, a very hard thing to do in our culture. Now, we honor those that abound by spending time with them to strengthen our relationships. Now, the first thing I want you to see in this is that Paul wanted this. Paul wanted relational support. We think of Paul as the uh, stereotypical American missionary, you know, missionary pastor guy. I am the pioneer. I don't need anyone. Do you realize there's nearly a hundred names associated with Paul in the New Testament? This guy never did ministry alone. And he needed relational support. Look at verse 11. He says, look, I want Timothy to be with me so that he may come to me. I want him with me. And even Apollos, and they disagreed on things, and they were differently gifted. But in verse 12, what does he call Apollos? He calls him my brother, because he had true fellowship with him. And Paul, most of all, look here in verses 17 and 18. Paul was honored and refreshed by the relational support he received from three men sent to him by the church of Corinth. Look at this. I rejoice over the coming, the personal interaction with Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what is lacking. That's what the New American Standard says. They've supplied what is lacking. Now, as a good Bible student, you're going to ask this question. What was he lacking? What was he like lacking? And I've given you some other Bible translations that kind of have paraphrased or, or, or interpreted what that is. Look at the Net Bible. Because they have supplied the fellowship with you that I lacked. The ESV, because they have made up for your absence. NLT, they have been providing the help you weren't here to give me. Now, I think they, they brought money. I think they brought an offering. But you know what the most important thing they brought? They brought themselves. They brought friendship. They brought that relational support that even the mighty Apostle Paul needed. Now, Paul wasn't just a taker. He was a giver. So look at the next observation there. Paul honored others with the relational, relational support they wanted as they abounded in the Lord. And I want you to take you back up to verses 10 and 11. And I want to give you two ways we can relationally support one another. Oh man, these are so powerful. Look at verses 10 and 11. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you. There's the relational. Without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him. Now there's two things that we can do for one another. The first is drive out fear with loving acceptance. Drive out fear with loving acceptance. Have you ever been afraid of doing ministry? Raise your hand. You ever been too afraid? Now, the rest of you are either lying or you're not involved in ministry, okay? Or you're, or you're Kirk and you're trying to stay awake and you're too tired, okay? <laughs> Bye, Kirk. <laughs> hey, listen, we've all been afraid. Listen, I think that's the biggest reason people don't get involved in ministry. Biggest reason is fear, insecurity, and anxiety. And really kind of goes back to the man-pleasing. What will they think? What happens if I fail? Am I good enough? And Timothy had those same struggles. In fact, we think his personality was probably bent towards that. But it doesn't matter. We all struggle with that. I love what Paul says in verse 10. 
See that he is with you without cause to be afraid. Don't you dare give him a reason to be afraid. Let me tell you, there's a lot of scary people in ministry too. We don't want to be one of them. Amen? Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, how do you cast out fear according to the Bible? What casts out fear? Perfect love casts out fear. The way to help others overcome their anxieties, their fear, their insecurities is to express to them and give to them the unconditional love that says, I accept you, you're free to fail, it's okay. Isn't that good? Kind of a good thing to be communicating to one another. You go out of your way to let other people know you are for them and not against them. Listen, I just want you to know I'm for you. I'm not against you. I may still have to say hard things to you. You may have to say hard things to me. We may have to, uh, as we're going to see in a moment, say things that are hard to say. But that's okay because I'm for you. I'm not against you. That's really important. You can do this in a note. You can do this in text. But most important, it's good to greet one another and just kind of say to one another, hey, I'm for you. I want to build you up. I'm not here to tear you down. Um, And we just need to remember, really on a practical, they say it takes five positives for every negative. Okay, and so some of us are more prone to negativity. So we need need like a a truckload of positivity. And we got to work at it. Okay. Number two, don't despise them, but honor them for doing the Lord's work. So let no one despise him. Now, this word despise, I, try, I studied it out and I gave you three practical ways that we despise people. Don't be condescending toward them or let others look down on them. Paul's saying, look, I don't look down on this guy. I don't want you to look down on them. Boy, it's easy for us to be condescending without even knowing it. Amen? We're condescending when we see other people and we, we look at their weaknesses, we look at their looks, we look at their personality, and we say, you know what? They just don't cut it. You know, they're not as good as me. They're not as good as what I want. They don't measure up. And we look down on their weaknesses. The Corinthians, <laughs> you know, they, they, were, they were great at this. Here's what they said about Paul. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, For they say, His letters are weighty and strong, but His personal presence, unimpressive, and His speech, contemptible. I don't like how that guy teaches. I don't like how that guy preaches. And that guy's not very tall. That guy looks overweight. That gal looks unkept. All of that is condescending messages that we send to one another. Instead, we should be treating each other as servants of the Lord. Here's what Paul says. Here's why you don't despise people. They're doing the Lord's work. Amen? They're doing the Lord's work, and that lifts them up. Regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of their looks, regardless of their, their, their physical abilities, they are doing the Lord's work. Don't be critical of them and, or let others judge them hardly, that, uh, harshly. That's despising. Don't be competitive with them. This is huge. In verse 12, he talks about Apollos. Why does he mention Apollos? Why does he say he's my brother? Because the Corinthians were comparing Paul and Apollos and saying, look, I like Paul better. You know, I like Apollos better. 
And he's saying, look, this is my brother. And we're not going to let you pit us against each other. And you're not going to manipulate us. And I want you to know, I told him to come because I want him to come and bring his gifts. And he told me he'll come and not be manipulated by you or by anyone. This is just good stuff. Just good stuff. So what does that mean for you and I? Don't play favorites in ministry. Don't prejudge motives. Don't compete with one another. Instead, always assume the best. That, that's a discipline you have to do. That's a discipline. You have to come before the Lord and say, Lord, help me do this. And every time I've done that, every time I've reserved judgment, held back critique, nine times out of ten, I had read the situation wrong. I had read the person wrong. And, and just give honor by giving people the relational support that they need. Number four, no matter how godly we are, and no matter how much grace and mercy we have, we still get crossways with people. Uh, we're still sinners saved by grace, and sometimes we need to honor those who are abounding and serving by giving them the rec reconciliation none of us deserves, but all of us gets from the Lord. I like this. You, you'll miss it if you don't see it. Look at verse 11. In the midst of this saying, hey, don't, <coughs> don't give him reason to fear don't despise him. Look at verse 11. But send him on his way in what? In peace. In peace. Be reconciled with one another. So the opposite of causing people to serve in fear and treating them with contempt is to live with them in peace. So what do you do when you find yourself in conflict as you serve in ministry? Well, Here's how to honor one another with reconciliation. And I'll let you look these verses up. And, and most, most of it, it's familiar to us, but we need to be reminded of us. The first thing we need to do is take the journey to make things right and see if there's anything wrong. Why is it called taking the journey? Because in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, it says, look, if you know you've done something wrong and someone is offended by you, you are to go. That's taking the journey. And then it says, if you see someone and you see them doing what's wrong, you are to go to them. That's taking the journey. And so when we're in conflict, instead of pulling apart, dividing, isolating, we're to go to one another. And then what do we do when we go? The second thing you see there in your notes, be forgiving in order to ask and give forgiveness just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgiven people are forgiving. It's that simple. There's nothing that any of us can do to one another that isn't forgivable in Christ. And we're to do that. But you know what? The third thing we're to do is cover the majority of differences with the blanket of love. First Peter says, Above all, keep a fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And Paul keeps coming back to this love idea. Imagine that. And the fifth is, take the initiative to be a mediator that brings those in conflict together for reconciliation. See, sometimes we need to take the initiative and say, hey, Joe, hey, uh, Bill, you two are crossways. Let's get together and let's work this out before the Lord. And I really believe the failure for God's people to do this more often at a, at a lay level 
is causes more division, more strife in marriages, in ministries, in family than almost anything. This is a rare thing for this to be done. And yet in Philippians, Paul says, I urge Yodia and I urge Synecdoche to live in harmony in the Lord. They were at conflict. Indeed, true companion, someone else in the church, unnamed. I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Godly, abounding women in the work of the Lord got crossways and they need help to untangle it. Finally, give them the respect the Lord requires. How do we honor people? Give them the respect that the Lord requires. This too can be easily overlooked. Look at verse 16. He says regarding Stephanus and his household who have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Look at what he says. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors in it. I see two things here. I first see an unpopular way to honor people and show respect, and then an unexpected way. And the unpopular way is submit yourself. (laughs) The unpopular way to show (coughs) respect to people is to submit those God has given and the church is appointed to lead you. Now, the Bible again and again says that He's gifted certain people in the church, certain men, He has given them as gifts, He's given them the authority and the accountability to lead the church. And the way we show respect to them is to obey their leadership and instruction from the Word of God and to submit ourselves in heart to them and especially to the teaching that they do of the Word of God. But 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says this, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in the Lord because of their work. Not because they're special. They're sinners just like you, saved by grace. But because of the work that they're doing. Live in peace with one another, he says. But here's the unexpected way. And it really got me. The unexpected way to show respect to those abounding is submit yourself to everyone, to everyone who helps. Did you see that? He's not just saying submit to your pastors. He says, look, anybody that's devoted themselves to abounding in the work of ministry, you should submit yourself to them. Do you find that unexpected? I do. How do you do that? Well, let me give you couple ways. First of all, remember that every member is a minister. The Bible says that God has given to everyone a gift to be used in ministry and some more gifts. But the point is that every member is a minister, not just those who are vocationally or called to pastor. Second, realize that every minister is doing the Lord's work as they labor. They are doing the Lord's work. I love this up here with Timothy. Look back at verse 10. The reason you're not supposed to cause him to be afraid, the reason that you are to uh, not despise him, the reason you are to give him relational uh, support and, and respect 
For He is doing the Lord's work. Number three, every worker deserves to be given the respect the Lord requires. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the different parts of the body, and he likens it to body parts. And here's the point. We tend to think the parts that we see the most, that we use the most, deserve the greater honor. And he says, those parts like your feet, those parts that we cover with clothes, those parts deserve the greater honor. And so here's the point. We should show respect to everyone. Somebody changing diapers, they get respect. Somebody's cutting our grass, they get respect. Somebody that takes out trash, somebody that wipes down tables, it's all doing the Lord's work. Amen? And we need to show respect for one another. So here's what I want you to do. Honor those who are always abounding in the work of the Lord, and it will help them to keep abounding, and it will help others to start abounding. So here's what I want you to do this week. Here's your homework. If you're a pastor, ministry leader, or grow group leader, take time to think through these five ways to honor those who are abounding in the work of the Lord on your staff, your team, or your group, and then start abounding and honoring them in these things. Amen? Take some time. Do this. Our grow group can't function with people not abounding and serving. I appreciate them. Our class can't function. I need to honor them. But if you are a team member on a ministry team, and every member ought to be, Take time to think through these five ways to honor those who lead you and work alongside of you. Because we are to show appreciation for one another. Amen? That's just good. This is just good stuff. And you know what? If you're in ministry, it makes more sense to you. If you are bounding in ministry, you know this motivates you. And if you need to get in ministry, I can't think of a better way than to point out to you some of the great people in this church that are always abounding in the work of the Lord. Together, we can accomplish ministry, much more ministry. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we come. And uh, this is an encouraging lesson. It's a challenging lesson. It's a convicting lesson. I think we can all grow, Lord, in honoring one another more. I think we can think through ways, and basically we got to fight through ways to show honor to one another. Father, I, I, I thank you for honoring us by gifting us, calling all of us to work and to work hard in the mission of sharing Jesus with people. May we abound, and as we abound, honor, honor one another and show appreciation to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.